And boom, we're back with another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with the glorious Dr. Bear Paul Lando coming to you live and direct from the great state of Jefferson. Uh, he's on the Smith River. I'm in Jacksonville, Oregon, downtown in this historic place at our other spot, coming to you from the new uh, mobile studio here. Uh, we are excited about today's show. Going to go deep down many, many rabbit holes uh, with our friend Shannon Rowan, who's just up the way in the Siskiyou, not far from us, one of our neighbors, and John Hamer coming to us live from the UK. Uh, this is going to be an exciting show. If you're new to Alpha Vedic, you can find everything um, about us at alphavedic.com. That's A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C.com. And you can join our amazing online community on Telegram at t.me forward slash alphavedic or join us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash alphavedic. For the time being, that's not going to be much longer as the new platform launches, uh, yada, yada, yada. And we're about to launch uh, pre-sale or uh, early bird tickets to Music and Sky. As we announced a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Bear Paul Lando will be uh, a key, the keynote speaker for the event. Very excited about that. And Bear, we officially have Marty Leeds on the lineup now. He'll be doing a Sunday sermon. Sweet. Um, so very excited about Marty and Eileen McCusick's coming back. Of course, a lot of the regulars, Dr. Melissa Sell, Sophie Urosimos, and a lot of other amazing surprises too uh, coming along. So we'll be announcing the first early bird lineup for that. And also bear potentially some, well, we're going to have some amazing music acts, but I'm talking to a friend of ours who's over in John's neck of the woods, who's been on AlphaCast. I'm not going to say anything else. But come out and perform. It's been a while since he's performed since the coronation uh, debacle, <laughs> worldwide coronation. Um, he hasn't performed out, and he is a massive. Uh, he's massively loved in our community and in the underground uh, dance community. So uh, an amazing 432 hertz producer. I'll leave it at that. I've probably said too much already. Bear, anything uh, coming from your end? Is. <laughs> Anything coming uh, from your end before I uh, introduce our beautiful guest today? No, we're just uh, living in a winter wonderland here. I just had to go knock the snow off my uh, satellite dishes, and uh, my technology is a little wonky. So if you guys lose me, you know what happened there. Uh, so, um, oh, one word, you know, we are a, uh, with our esteemed guest here today, we are a YouTube accident waiting to happen. <laughs> and uh, Michael and I are attempting to maintain this uh, platform as long as possible to reach the normie crowd as well as our, our own uh, following. So uh, I know you two folks are very well researched in a lot of the topics that we have experience in also. So we are going to be talking in code today, if you don't mind. It's it's silly, and I you know I I can't believe we actually have to have this discussion, but um, we'll just kind of be careful because anything that uh, pertains to Wi-Fi designating certain numbers and letters or talking about bugs in certain kinds of uh, nomenclature, you know, we'll we'll get us our third strike. So we're trying to avoid that. And uh, if we get our third strike, then F it, and I don't care. <laughs> but we'll see if we can last here as long as possible. So should we say beer bug? What's the code? <laughs> well, we can share sure, uh... whatever you like. <laughs> we'll be creative. Okay. And if we blow it, we blow it. High five is one we've used for the other thing you're talking about. The Oh, I like that. Okay. High five. All right. 
<laughs> right. Nice. Yeah, we we get really creative cooties. Uh, I like the coronation oh, yeah. uh, uh, nation masturbation. I don't know. Uh, it's uh, really uh, ridiculous that um, we're at this stage. Uh, but we also are for those who are just tired of being on centralized systems. We are streaming on Odyssey as we speak. We're also streaming on Sayerji's um, Unite.Live as we speak. Uh, and also on Fakebook, I'm, we're back on there. So that's for the super normie crowd. Just kidding. Everyone who's watching us on on, fake, on Facebook, we appreciate you too. And uh, thank you for all the support. So um, let's go ahead and dive into our guest today, geopolitical master sleuthers, John Hamer and Shannon Rowan team up on this AlphaCast for some epic dot connecting to expose the globalist agenda. And welcome to the masquerade, prelude to the coming reset. Geopolitical authors and researchers John Hamer and Shannon Rowan team up to expose a massive hoax second to none in human history. Welcome to the Masquerade takes the reader on a journey deep down the rabbit hole while exploring a wide variety of political and esoteric topics, unmasking the main players and their control agendas at the heart of the world's great masquerade of 2020 to 2022. You could say it's really still going on. Um, no subject will be sacrosanct for this discussion, as this epic roundtable will traverse into everything from the big tech and big pharma partnerships, social engineering programs, the orchestrated financial resets of the fraudulent worldwide monetary and banking systems, high five warfare, <laughs> and the many fronts of worldwide eugenics. John's vast encyclopedic knowledge of geopolitics and control agendas, coupled with Shannon's in-depth medical and technical expertise alongside her original illustrations, make for an astounding collaboration as they pose the critical question, qui bono, or who benefits from these unrelenting crimes against humanity? Shannon Rowan is a Wi-Fi refugee, social critic, free-thinking fine artist, writer, geopolitical author, and researcher, photographer, dancer, children's book author, illustrator, and EMF awareness activist. She's also a great cook and can really uh, be a wonderful guest <laughs> as well as I've hung out <laughs> with her. Um, she lives in the wilds of Northern California, right up by us. She's a neighbor uh, with her partner, who's also just a really awesome dude. And there are two cats and is an outdoor enthusiast, avid surfer, and sea kayaker. She had a, a career as a photojournalist and contributed to major national and international news and travel magazines as phot photographer and writer. John Hamer was born and raised in a small village in the Penine Hills. Hope I said that right. In last Penine. of the... Penine uh, Hills in last of the summer wine country in rural West Yorkshire in north of England, but now lives on the beautiful North Yorkshire coast overlooking the North Sea. He spent most of his working life as a corporate slave to the IT industry before seeing the light and finally escaping from the dreary soul-destroying confines of the corporatocracy over 20 years ago. Here, here. Uh, since then, he has been a full-time professional geopolitical researcher, analyst, public speaker, and author, having written and had published eight books to date. His first, The Falsification of History, was and continues to be a great success and established his reputation as a writer of, quote-unquote, real history, as opposed to the usual lies we are fed by the corporate media in all its forms, 
on a daily basis. Also, I will say um, falsification of science, which Bear has in his office there and I have back in my office, is a phenomenal book. A great read that Shannon helped as an editor. Um, I uh, That is a page turner and really fun. I look forward to touching on a number of those subjects today as well. Uh, this is going to be a fun one, Bear. Absolutely. And I, I do have to say, though, that uh, preparing for today's uh, talk was a little bit daunting because the uh, books that the two of you have put out are somewhat encyclopedic, but they are page turners and, uh, you know, just uh, amazing work, both of you. Uh, John, wonderful to meet you and delightful to have you here. Thank you for making time for us. I know it's uh, evening your time across yep. the pond there. And uh, so thanks. And Shannon, good to see you again. You know, you came and visited us. I, you know, we we're trying to guesstimate what it was maybe a couple of years ago. Uh, the farm here looks a lot different than when you were here last. We've got new buildings. We've got all sorts of stuff going on. So please come back and visit us soon. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. you'll, you'll be amazed in, in how things have transformed here. Yeah, love to see um, that. I almost don't know. Uh, yeah. So thank you for being with us. Sure. Uh, I almost don't know where to start because there's so much information that you bring to the table. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, as an introduction with John earlier off air, we we're just talking about our background and about terrain medicine. And that, and that gets into all sorts of debate about what really causes illness and contagions and all that sort of thing. And um, uh, Shannon, uh, especially yourself being a Wi-Fi refugee, you know, I'll start off by saying this is that if you go all the way back to the Spanish flu alleged epidemic or uh, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, it was uh, I am more than certain that it was caused by the first rollout of the, uh, you know, crude electrical grid at that time. And what happens, of course, is it's uh, even at that level that was very minor compared to what our bodies are facing these days. Um, it does take its toll on its bodies. And there was uh, an adaptive response that was necessary in the population that produced the symptoms that were then attributed to the Spanish flu. Um, and then, of course, uh, it goes away, not because people are healthier, but because of the adaptation they learn to deal with it, but forevermore, the herd, uh, we'll just say resilience is greatly lowered. And uh, that's been happening incrementally and purposely over the decades, of course, until now we're living in a, in a Death Star jungle here, we'll just say that. Um, so maybe we could start off, uh, you know, uh, maybe Shannon, tell us how you got involved with John in the first place. That's probably a good story and a good place to start. And then we can use that to segue into any subject matter uh, that we care to. Sure. Um, thanks, Bear. Yeah. You know, I just want to say, start off by saying that I like to use the word compensation rather than adaptation, because I don't think, you know, I'm not, I'm not arguing there might be some kind of form of adaptation that happens biologically, but um, I'm not really a fan of the Darwinian model. And I know we're kind of like psyop with that a lot, you know, so um, but even if that were true, it, you know, he's talking that talks about like, you know, millennia, millions of years, and we're talking about decades, you know, and obviously, even if we could adapt and actually adapt to this, and it would be fine, it would take a really long time. And so to me, it's like we compensate. So we get accustomed to this new intruder, 
this artificial environment that isn't natural and native to the planet. And then we, our bodies compensate in some way. And so this is where the rise of the chronic illness enters the scene. So we do have, you know, so I like, I just put that out there, but yeah, so how I met John, um, basically I was like a stalker fan and that's how I, <laughs> no, <but> I <laughs> okay. not quite, but I did, I did, I did find his book, Falsification of Science, uh, History, excuse me. Um, weirdly through having listened to a BBC uh, radio show, I, it's a guilty pleasure of mine sometimes to listen to the radio for you know, dramas and that. And I, I got that habit when I lived in Ireland years ago and I kind of kept it once I was able to access online. So there's a lot of predictive programming and now there's a lot of, you know, um, it's very um, sort of, you know, mainstream usually, but there's some fun dramas. And um, so I was listening to one about the Titanic, which um, actually like had a conspiracy theme to it. You know, and I was kind of like surprised at this narrative. And I thought, what? Like, and this is some years ago. And I thought, that's that's weird. I'd never heard a different alternative story to the Titanic. And they actually said it had to do with insurance. I mean, didn't go into detail as much as John has gone into. But what that did was lead me down that rabbit hole. I started searching about Titanic, you know, true history, whatever. Up comes John's, you know, half a million views, like video. And I, I listened to the whole thing. It's like three hours and watched that. And then I, um, I saw his books, I got on his website, you know, ordered falsification of history, read it and had all these questions for him. <laughs> so I just, his email was there, I emailed him and we just kind of hit it off. We kept going into like further and further conversation. Um, months later, John asked me to co-author a book. He recognized I had some writing talent and, you know, research capacities and open-minded and critical thinking. So um, we actually started, this was 2019, like summer of, and we started another collaboration, which we have yet to finish. And we are going to pick that up again, really more focused on transhumanism in that book. But then he enter 2020 drama and we said, whoa, we got to switch gears and, and focus on this. This is huge. You know, so, so we, some overlapping subjects there for sure. They always do because, you know, everything connects, but, um, so we just, we kind of like made a good start. I had to move, smart grid came in to where I was living in Arizona. John wanted to come out and visit me that summer. Flights got canceled, he couldn't visit. You know, um, everything got, you know, topsy-turvy. Um, and so we moved out here and, um, which has been great, but we moved another, you know, as you know, we moved again. And so there was a lot of upheaval. John had to move as well a couple of times. So we've been, took us a couple years is what, you know, that it, we wanted it to be quicker. And so unfortunately, although at the same time, a lot unfolded during that time and we kept adding to it. And that's sort of why it kept growing. <laughs> it just wouldn't end. And I've been actually writing another book since August that is actually going to be as big as our Welcome to the Masquerade. I'm, I'm nearly finished. Um, it's, it's about the, I don't know what code word we have for the, uh, the, <laughs> the jab <laughs> can we say jab i like to call it the lethal injection but lethal injections yeah <laughs> well it's more the upper in... the up the sleevers uh or the uh jibby jab oh, roll up your sleevers yeah, oh, we, yeah we do use that one okay so um it's more focused on that topic in a little more in, in depth and you know related topics but um it all kind of all those roads kind of lead back to the control agendas of like 
enslaving us and make turning us into cyborgs. You know, it's no way else around it, but that's how I see it. So that's um, that should be finished in a few weeks. And I also ended up writing Wi-Fi Refugee during the project I had with John when he was, you know, like kind of went back to him finishing up the last chapters while I was working on that. And that is really my story. Of, it's my story and several other refugee stories. And I say refugee because I've had to move several times because the encroachment of these wireless systems, or I shouldn't say the W word, I guess, but these systems, um, frequency systems, <laughs> and and um, in what that's done to so many other people that have been displaced as well. And I just want to say I've never been a technophobe or anything. I'm not a Luddite. I I was using all of the tech and that's when I got sick and had to move. And I will say I, talking on this subject is a big trigger generally for censorship more than a lot of things. You know, I have actually um, got somebody else, you know, show taken down from from YouTube because of going into detail about my story. So I might not say much there, but um, but several other stories similar to mine, you know, besides in addition to the science behind it and and the rest of it. So that um, came out just after the book, you know, Welcome to the Masquerade last year. And um, so, yeah, just keep going with it, keep researching and, and uh, yeah, I don't know if that is, so Fantastic. yeah, John, I have this other book, like I said, which we are getting back into soon and hopefully next year we'll have that one out. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So um, yeah. And as they say, you know, it's not paranoia if they're really trying to get us. So uh, that seems to be apparent. Um, John, uh, you know, uh, some of the um, stories that you've gotten into are are amazing. You know, the Titanic really kind of piqued my interest as well. Yeah. And it, uh, I, I, you tell me you know more than I do, but I, I believe some of the main um, impediments or people that were against the, the new Federal Reserve monetary system just happened to be on the Titanic as well. And yeah. uh, maybe, uh, you, you know, we can use that. You can uh, elaborate on that, but also tell us a little bit how you uh, uh, traverse from IT into the work that you're doing now. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, let's get the Titanic out of the way, first of all. Yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was a very, very clever uh, insurance scam primarily. But, uh, I, you know, at that same time, there was the Federal Reserve uh, in Federal Reserve in the process of being forced upon the American people and there was quite vociferous op opposition to it and there were four people in particular there was um, uh, uh, oh my goodness my mind's gone blank there was a guy called Isidore Strauss who owned Macy's department store and he was into the banking industry as well uh, John Jacob Astor who was said to be the richest man in the world at the time uh, there was the father of the famous aviator um the spirit of St. Louis guy again my, my mind's going blank um um I can't remember sorry and uh and another guy called Benjamin Guggenheim who had lots of fingers in lots of pies who was into mining he was into railroads lots of stuff these were all very rich guys and they were all against the Federal Reserve and why were they against the Federal Reserve it wasn't through any kind of altruism for the common people it was purely and simply because they knew that what the Federal Reserve would bring would be massive inflation. And what does inflation do to people's fortunes? It decimates them. So that's why they were against it. And it just so happened that the Titanic was given this massive fanfare for its opening, for its maiden voyage. 
and JP Morgan, who owned the company that owned the company that owned Titanic, um, was um, making invitations to lots and lots of famous people, celebrities of the day, if you like. And these people are all enticed on board. And Titanic was sunk deliberately. You know, it's it's really up for de debate as to whether it hit an iceberg or not. I actually don't believe it did. But I think they kind of steered close to an iceberg to give the impression. You know, I wrote a, an entire book about it. So, you know, anybody who's interested in that, then look for RMS Olympic, which nice little plug there. OK, but yeah, how did I make the transition from IT? To, John, John uh, can I add can I add just one thing too? what I found recently about it is besides the Federal Reserve yeah. connection is the Tesla connection. And the funding he was going right. to get, I believe, from Astor and how they need to take that yeah. out because of the etheric technologies mm -hmm. and how yeah. JP uh, uh, Morgan and his cronies could not allow that tech to come out. So that was the major funding yeah. of Nikola Tesla that was also taken out with that. So that's yeah, really interesting. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Mike. Uh, but that, I didn't actually cover any of that stuff in the book because I wasn't aware of it at the time the book was written. The book was written kind of 2012, 2013. So uh yeah well, but that's one quick question sorry sorry to interrupt um you talked no about um charles Lindbergh and a connection yeah, on the titanic was what was that yeah yeah charles Lindbergh senior uh the father of the famous aviator he ah. um he was actually paid four million dollars which is a huge amount of money i mean it's a huge amount of money today but in those days, it was a massive, massive amount of money. He was um, he was paid four million dollars to, uh, to cancel the book that he was writing, exposing the the dangers that the Federal Reserve would bring to the American economy, well, to the world economy, in fact, but principally the American economy. And uh, he he actually dropped his opposition as a result. Of that, yeah, but he was bribed and coerced into doing it. Yeah. With every great operation, they have five or six different um, sort of uh, results they get out of it, right? So they're they're yeah. maniacal. They're, you got to give them some props. They're pretty oh, these people are not Machiavellian idiots. machinations. Yeah. yeah, these people are not idiots. They know exactly what they're doing, and and they plan well, well in advance. You know, decades and centuries in some cases. You know, I've got examples in my books of where the, where the plan's been in place for over a century. You know, to to actually achieve a certain end and then they stop at nothing you know the psychopaths they've got no empathy they've got no no feelings of remorse no feelings of guilt they just propound their agenda and they go for it big time and you know they, they, they use they're very cunning people so you know yes respect to them in that you know very begrudging respect to them in, in that way but uh yeah so yeah how did i make the transition from it well uh first of all i I had begin, begun to suspect around about 1997, and it was the Prince of uh, Princess Diana's death that, that pushed me in that direction. I began to suspect that things were not as they seemed to be, and I looked into Princess Diana's death at the time, and I came to some conclusions, shall we say? And then, of course, 9/11 happened four years later, and then at around about that time, I was made redundant from my job in IT. And so I tried to get another job and I failed miserably. Uh, I was, you know, I was in my late 40s by this time. So, you know, IT is a young man's game, shall we say. And I was stumped. I didn't know where to turn. So I just began writing because I got nothing else to do. I was, I was redundant. And 
it just went from there really i i had articles published on people's different people's websites i you know i was told that i had a talent for writing so eventually i decided to start writing books and then you know it developed from there i i started doing you know uh, standing up talks and podcasts and it's just really blossomed from there and you know at this point in time i have eight books um and i just like to put the record straight actually uh, regarding falsification of science Shannon, modest lady that she is, did far more than edit it. She actually made some very important contributions to it as well. But as I say, modest lady that she is, she wouldn't consent to being referred to as co-author. But she did make a lot of very good contributions. So I just wanted to put that straight. Thanks, John. I know you, you he offered me co-authorship, but I just felt like it was his idea and he had started it and I just kind of entered it later and I didn't feel that that was i was deserving of that so i just said no it's okay well i did but yeah we're doing other ones thank <laughs> you yeah <laughs> um you know i want to say too john you had the um you know, your background also in genealogy research as a mm. kind of researcher because you did that professionally for a while right i did yeah i was a professional genealogist as a after i left wow. it and, and and in parallel with what i'm doing now i did that for a while just to raise money because i mean i wasn't selling books at that time so yeah, I studied in genealogy and, uh, and I, I had, had a professional genealogical research service. Yeah. Yeah. So um, regardless of whether you uh, approach all these um, agendas, uh, you know, whether they're medical or technological, uh, you know, that old saying, follow the money really couldn't be more true. Uh, you know, a long time ago, I ran into a gentleman and uh, got to have a great conversation with him. His name was Eustace Mullins. All right, and yeah. he Fred was died. one of the original yeah. <laughs> folks that kind of blew the cover off of the, the Federal Reserve scam. And Absolutely. then uh, later in the oh, mid-90s, uh, I got to hook up with G. Edward Griffin because we had him as a keynote speaker in some of our events. So yep. I got quite an eye opener of, uh, you know, what's really going on behind the scene yep. and uh, all roads do seem to lead to Rome. So, uh, you know, if either one of you want to take off a little bit on that. Well, I'll just I'll just go first, if I may. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ed Griffin um, actually was kind enough to write a foreword for my book, RMS Olympic, which is all about the Titanic and the Federal Reserve. So, yeah, I, I didn't actually meet him, but, you know, I did have communications with him. and. Uh, I was very grateful because obviously he's a big name and that helped. <laughs> yeah, in terms of the all roads lead to Rome. Yeah, there's a lot with that because uh, I've been learning a lot more about that in this last year, thanks to our friend Johnny Cerucci. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. Uh, no, please tell oh. us. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he's written several books, researches. He has a podcast. He's uh, based out of Pennsylvania. But he focuses primarily on that connection with going back, you know, to always to the Pope, the Jesuits, um, and you know, really fascinating. It's and even like you start to see things like PayPal, PayPal, right? The the program, the platform, PayPal. Like it's like there's all this room, <laughs> you know, the esoteric, the the language. It's just everywhere, you know. Um, so I find that really interesting. I don't know that I didn't know that Eustace Mullins kind of connected to Rome. I thought he sort of was focused on Rockefeller's Rothschild, you know, which I mean, I think there's there's always these connections with like Illuminati and Rome and, you know, Jesuits, you know, Freemasons. Yeah. 
Um, so that, I didn't, that was yeah. more his connection. He, right. he originally was uh, made aware of an individual that was um, sequestered, we'll say, in a mental hospital because he was talking too much about the system. And Eustace went up to his room and, and had private interviews, which really gave him the, um, you know, the original information. It's the preface of his book. Mm -hmm. Sorry, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, is it just the one book? Because I just read, I mean, I've read his, um, the medical one a, few, a couple of times. Does he have any more? Mm -hmm. Is that, is that it? Well, there's the one on the Federal Reserve. Uh, oh, John, do you remember one. the name of that? Uh, was it Keys to the Temple? No, that was somebody else. Um, um I, I, anyway, I'm, I just know it, death by uh, isn't it death by injection or something. Boy, was that murder uh, by sorry murder by injection? Yeah, yeah, that was sheer prophetic, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I've actually just uh, for the book I'm doing now, I've I've pulled from his heavily from his research for part of part of mm. my book currently. But um, okay. yeah, so. Um, but I don't know what else I want to say about that connection of anything, anything specific. I mean, I guess I need like some questions or something to, um, if you had any specific questions or anything that I can. Uh, well, well, the main thing you know. is just that that connection with the um, world banking cabal really does seem to be the the body of the octopus, we'll say. And um, so that I just wanted to, you know, maybe use that into a segue into, you know, whatever other subject matter or sinister nefarious <laughs> agendas that uh, emanate from that body. Yeah, yeah. one one would Sorry. say that is that is like part of the major sort of tying connections to everything, right? Um, all the world wars, yeah. all the psyops. That is a way that we can really follow the money. I mean, it's so cliche, Absolutely. but it's true. And really, when you do that, it answers a lot of the questions that I think doubters and people that come in go, oh, how is this like, who's running the world? How is that possible that like uh, there could be a sort of maniacal um, mono sort of uh, group that is in charge of it all? And we've never said that. I think it's much more. I know it's much more complex than that. And I know there are factions battling with each other. And this goes back to ancient mystery schools and occulted practices and, and really history, right? Um, and how history has been completely fabricated, but follow the money. And that tells us a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, the banking industry is definitely the, um, the, the central point for everything that is happening in the world today because they have unlimited money. And the reason they have unlimited money is because they create it out of thin air. And they use that money that they've created out of thin air to fund everything that goes on, absolutely everything. Uh, you know, without without that, without the Federal Reserve specifically, World War One could never have happened. And that's why World War One went ahead, because you know the Federal Reserve came about in 1913. What year did World War One come about? 1914. They were waiting for that Federal Reserve system to be put into place because they knew it would just create unlimited amounts of money for them. And that's what funded both sides in World War One, and ultimately both sides in World War Two as well, and probably any other war that you can name, but those being the two principal ones in the 20th century. So yeah, the banking industry is the key to everything bad that goes on in this world. And my book, Behind the Curtain, which is a huge two-volume two book, you know, kind of goes into massive detail about that. You know, first of all, about how the bank banking system came about. And then all the different events that have been funded and promulgated by this 
as I say, this ability to create money out of thin air. I'll I'll add to that that um well first you know money that's why I say money is the root of all evil right <laughs> um but um you know I just recently uncovered something I hadn't known about um about the antitrust laws in our country and this is really important because you know growing up like you'd hear about millionaires and that was a big deal but there weren't all these billionaires going around right like nobody was a billionaire that I remember in like the 70s and 80s. Well, what happened in the 70s, Reagan, apparently, they'd redefined antitrust, right? So antitrust is about monopolies and preventing them because of what happened with Rockefeller and Standard Oil. And, you know, so what happened is they decided that that as long as, so if you're buying up your competitors, as long as the price um, doesn't go, is, isn't raised, um, then that's okay. So it's, it became focused on the consumer, health of the consumer, not health of the economy or diversity of the economy or protecting small businesses. Um, and so what that's done is allowed over these last decades to, to sort of consolidate all this power into fewer and fewer hands. Because as you, when the monopolies just grow and grow, and you're seeing that with big tech and big pharma, and now some overlap there, right? It's like they just become monsters. I mean, these people, when, you, when you're a multi uh, million, you know, hundreds of millions of billions of dollars, you know, whatever, what do you call that? Sensei billionaire. I mean, that's just like, that's so much power. And, and so it's being more and more concentrated as of course the wealth is then taken from the people. So it's not, it's not really good for the consumer because the consumer then doesn't have his business anymore or her business. Like, the, you know, you lose your own businesses. You all have to, like the options become fewer for employment. You have to work at Walmart or Home Depot and then you just get paid, you know, menial wages and no benefits or whatever. And so of course that isn't healthy for everyone. It's healthy for, and this is where you see like the World Economic Forum these globalists and they, they have this much money. They have this much power. So of course they get to buy our, you know, elected, officials so-called um you know buy their way into everything i mean everybody has the price you know because this is the power of money oh but i know what i wanted to say um besides the wars and funding wars you've got all these like the pseudo war you know excuses for wars like terrorists taking down a dictator or whatever that's not why we got rid of those dictators it's because they dared to go off to to um to go away from the federal reserve and the world banking system they dared to create their own money you know, their own monetary system based on actual assets, you know, yeah. gold standard or whatnot. And that's what happened with Gaddafi. That's what happened with Hussein. And that's Absolutely. the only reason we bombed those countries it has nothing. Yeah, to yeah I mean, there's benefits like taking the oil fields and whatever. Oh, but Saddam actually, well, he dared go off of the petrodollar, right? It was like, yeah. he dared to like price oil in also in, um, in, the, in the euro. He wanted to, and that's what's been going on with Putin as well, right? He wants to... um he's like not doesn't want to do the petrodollar anymore and wants to price in euro or he has already isn't that right yeah one of the three most demonized countries in the world i would suggest it is cuba uh iran and north korea and what do those three countries have in common none of them have a rothschild central bank and they're the only ones that don't so you know there are 203 countries in the world or there were when i last researched Could it couldn't you add Russia to that now? Yes, you're right. Russia has, yeah, has recently uh, uh, departed from the Rothschild standard, shall we say? Yeah. So again, that's another 
another one of the reasons for the uh, demonization of Russia and the, and the and the ongoing farce that is the Russia-Ukraine war. I mean, that is just such a, a ridiculous situation. Uh, it's not a real war, it's theatre. I mean, it, you know, the, the, the Russian army could have crushed re- Ukraine in, in, in a week. It's massive. They've got a massive standing army, Russia. This has just been continually promulgated to give them excuses to do all kinds of other stuff. It seems you know, like uh, it, it, like once again, like with the World War One and World War Two, it's creating the false dialectic to maintain yeah. the, or, the, the, the order. I, I assume like Ukraine is going to get split in half. It's going to be like Germany after is going to be East and West Ukraine. Yeah. Probably. And it's going to be the red and the blue again. And it's just history repeating itself. And yeah. you got BlackRock who has the contracts mm-hmm. to do all the all the stuff in Ukraine once the war is over for the rebuilding and yeah. everything, you know. That's right. <laughs> well, it's not really you know, Russia um, versus Ukraine okay. anyway. It's more, it's more, it's Russia versus NATO, really. I mean, you know, Ukraine is the, yeah. Well, you've got all this just, money just, coming in. Oh, ahead. sorry. Bear. No, I was just going to make a quick comment. You know, everything that you folks are mentioning is indisputable, but maybe we should put it within a non-hand-wringing context, which is the fact that the, the monetary system is based on us providing the currency, the power, the energy for their, you know, printed out of thin air species of monopoly money. Yeah. And uh, so that brings us, I think, more into the real times that we are looking at, which is uh, a time of self-discovery where we are coming into our own, realizing our own power. And uh, they can print all the money they want, but without us, um, you know, they don't have any power. And, you know, I'm looking out my window right now at uh, who knows how many snowflakes falling from the sky. And every snowflake is... uh, is a work of art by mother nature. And if uh, she wants to uh, let a lot of these little perfect snowflakes fall from the sky, it will shut down everything we do on the face of the planet uh, and all the power that we think we have, you know, put together. So that's real power. You know, the river down there, that's power. And uh, so I just want to like bring that in because uh, I think from, from that perspective, we can talk about these truths that a lot of people are still too afraid to face, but then also come at it from the ultimate solution, which is us. So please go ahead, Shannon. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh, no, it's okay. I mean, I was um, just going to talk a little bit more about that, that all this money that our governments are putting into this war, you know, supporting Russia. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, supporting Ukraine <laughs> other way um, without like really any vote or, I mean, I, it seems like they just do that what they want. And it's like, you know, we may not feel like we're at war, but in a sense we are, especially when refugees then flood our countries and, you know, and sort of force on people. But I, I agree with you, Bear, like, and I, I always come back to that, like, because obviously we have this incredible power that is threatening to these entities because why else do they want to try to force us away from each other and you know physically like there's so much power in touching and you know and just contact in contact with nature and each other that that whole to me like half of the agenda or more um for the first the months and the you know the beer bug fire whatever outbreak was to to keep people from having that that potential like unlocking that you know and and so to me it's like that's threatening to them 
you know, obviously our faces smiling at each other is threatening, you know, um, getting together in groups is threatening. So that means we have more power than we realize, I think. And, and the only reason for real, the only real reason for depopulation, and John says this a lot, is that, that we are threatening, especially in numbers, you know, because if you think about it, how, like right now we can kind of slip through the cracks with, you know, um, defying them and but if there's a lot less of us then good luck with that you know it's going to be a lot more difficult to escape their what they're trying to have is an all-seeing eye and you know complete dominance and control um so but at the same time like you said i mean i do think that obviously nature is incredibly powerful and recovers from a lot of assaults and you know, and I know they try to also manipulate this weather and the and this these natural systems, but I don't think that ultimately they can do as much as they want to be able to do, or they they try to frighten us into thinking it's possible. Yeah, yeah. well, I I just take up on that point if I may and say that the 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 depopulation agenda and the fact that they are constantly harping on about the the, the fact that the world's overpopulated. It's just nonsense. The world is not overpopulated at all. There are vast, vast areas of the earth that no no one has ever hardly been to, let alone live there. You know, I I, I read an article, it was a very plausible article a, a while back last year, and uh, it made a very good case for the fact that the world could easily take one trillion people, let alone eight billion. You know, so it's it's just more propaganda designed to get people into that mindset of thinking that. The world is overpopulated today. Therefore, yes, we need to put measures in place to bring the population down. But as Shannon says, it's more to do with the fact that they're running scared. There are 8 billion of us. There are only a few thousand of them. You know, we are many. They are few. And that is a very dangerous situation for them. And they know it. And who knows? Maybe this uh, plane that we live on is actually a lot bigger than we were led to believe. I definitely think it is, yeah. Um, if we do a really good job, John, getting 98% jabbed, we can lower the population by at least 25%. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> uh, hey, Bear, I like how you opened that. It's a good segue. And obviously, yeah, I think uh, that in uh, this can play right into falsification of science, but also and then play into the plane we're getting into, because I think that's a fantastic conversation to move into. And it opens up so many yeah. avenues, right? Um, and but- last week we uh, pissed off all the flat earthers with our guest Dan Winner, and now this week we'll uh, we'll go after the globe heads. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um- you, the point you made about the being, the, I think the Earth is a plane, and I, I also think it's much, much bigger than they tell us because I think there are a lot of lands beyond the Antarctic Wall, and uh, you know, Admiral Byrd, and although I'm not. <laughs> A massive fan of him because I believe he was a Freemason. Uh, but well, and if you if you know Kathy O'Brien's story, he's related to that psychotic senator who was one of the MK Ultra leaders uh, uh, right. during that time, and uh, that connection okay. to Bird totally blew my mind. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. It was just trippy. No, that's okay. Uh, but there's a famous map that hangs in the lobby of the United Nations building, United Nations building in New York, and it clearly shows. The Earth is a disk with the Antarctic ice wall, then lots and lots of other land areas around that, the outside of that ice wall. Now, why would a map like that be hanging in the United Nations? There's you know, also a really interesting connection with the moon. Um, 
the face of the moon and the patterns we see on it. I don't know if Bear and Mike, you're familiar with that, that it's like a possibly like a, a photograph or an x-ray of the earth. And then that's the crater actually, earth idea like, that it's yeah, a exactly. reflection. Yeah. Um, and by the way, everyone in the chat, I know John's he's doing the eighties new wave effect on his video. So <laughs> a lot of people are commenting on it. Emily Moyer's in the house, by the way, she's in the chat, which is awesome. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, we'll just, we're testing you. He's it's a glitch in the matrix to see if you can not be so focused on it while you can listen to the chat. So we understand we can't fix it. Just go with the flow. His audio is great. There it goes but, again. I didn't know Here if I was the only one seeing that. I just, uh, I didn't say anything. <laughs> like a psychological test today. Uh, go ahead though. I love the idea of the... it actually myself. <laughs> yeah it's kind of interesting <laughs> uh yeah it's very like devo new wave you know like you know in, in early mtv um but uh shannon this idea that the moon well there's so many ideas right projection it's a hollow uh artificial spaceship that was brought here by the draconians it's you know to uh that it's part of the the simulation that it um but the the i'm forgetting the gentleman's name who has the crater earth uh theory um who says that it's a literally a reflection of the actual uh large crater that we're in that uh could you explain that a little bit are you familiar with that I, I don't know it as Creator Earth. I know it um, from a, there's a, a good movie called a, a History, uh, Lost History of the Flat Earth. It's seven hours long. <laughs> um, I think John introduced me to it. But, Era yeah, one or whatever his name is. Somebody yeah. in, out, over in John's country. Yeah, but um, I don't think he mentioned Creator Earth, but it looked like you definitely see that those patterns um, reflect like our land masses you know, continents, like there's a, there's a, a definite relationship, but then there's all this other around it that, that we don't know about, right. That, that might be there. So I don't understand. I mean, it sounds like their theory is maybe it, there was some kind of x-ray picture taken and, and projected onto it and it stuck there. But like, what is that? And you know, what is the moon? I mean, that's still the big question. What's the moon? Definitely don't think we ever went there. Um, you know, John and I covered that in falsification of science in detail. And what I contributed to that was because of my photography career. I know a lot of technical uh, information about photography. I worked in dark rooms since I was 16, you know, for like 20 years and film and processing. And I also I also handled those cameras that allegedly those astronauts use the Hasselblad. And there is just absolutely no way you could take those pictures. and Those cameras would work in that environment in the first place. So um, right there, I mean, just the technical aspect of, of what they say they use, what the film kind of film was, what the camera was, whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't add up, it doesn't make any sense. So, um, so there's, there's just, you know, lies upon lies upon lies, what is the truth? I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, it's, 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 it's we've got to ask the question. One so thing, and, we, and realize that one thing we know for certain is that uh, they're lying to us. So why would yeah. they do that? Uh, my own take, if you go back to a lot of ancient writings, is that there are plasma projections and, they, you know, that produce the resonance that uh, coalesces matter through the ethers and creates our experience. So uh, that seems uh, very demonstrable to me. And I think there's ways that you can reproduce that. We do it, in, you know, in an alchemy lab and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's not just the moon and what that is, but all the planets other than NASA CGI, uh, you know, what all those uh, objects up there do not seem to be solid at all. So um, 
I don't know what it is, but I know somebody's uh, fibbing about something. So why? Oh, worth worth watching. A funny thing happened on the way to the moon. Uh, I, th yeah. I think you guys talk about that, but it's fantastic. Absolutely. And also the, um, the, uh, the press conference with the Apollo 11 astronauts when they got back from wherever they'd been, and it certainly wasn't the moon. <laughs> uh, that is very telling as well. And that is still available so, online somewhere. I mean, that they were that for anyone who's not seen it, they 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 did not give the impression of somebody who's just been on the most incredible journey of any, you know that any human being has ever been on. They were just so morose and sullen, and they didn't answer questions, and they were they would just look really like they wanted to be somewhere else. So they were obviously doing that under coercion. I mean, you just need to watch that and you and you, you can see it. It just sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, I had a little um, anecdote about that. Uh, back in my career days, I took care of a family of one of these uh, gentlemen who was first up there. And let's just say um, it was very strange in the extreme as far as uh, the behavior surrounding that, we'll say. Yeah. And has anyone ever seen the, um, the uh, I think it was on YouTube actually for a while, it may have been taken down now, the one of Buzz Aldrin talking to the little girl, the eight-year-old girl. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. And he said, um, again, for those who have not seen it, uh, he said that, uh, she said, um, why have we never been back to the moon? And he said, well, there's a very good reason for that, because we never went in the first place. Bingo. Oh, what a giveaway. Oh, what a giveaway. Thank you, Buzz, for that. Those wise words. Yeah, and the Van they Allen. They said belt. he was drunk, and that was the excuse. Hey, what, yeah, it, yeah, it was drunk. It was obviously <laughs> drunk, but but then again, you could use the argument that the truth comes out when you're drunk, doesn't it? So, yeah, yeah, and the whole Van Allen belt thing. I actually asked Dan Winter that last week, and he didn't really give me an answer. Um, how does one, how how does a living organism pass through that in a tin can and survive? Uh, yeah. if, if we, you know, and, and one thing the flat earthers often say, and I don't bear and I are shape agnostic. We're functionalists, if you will. Um, but you know, one of the arguments is you can't have a vacuum next to an atmosphere and that's totally obvious. Right. Yeah. And that makes total sense, but they're the ones saying it's a vacuum. How do we know space is a vacuum? How do we not know it's something totally different? How do we not know it's an ocean? How do we not know, as as Walter Russell says, it's the noble gases and that it's live and that it's so there's so much, you know, complete obfuscation from scientism, the cult of scientism that creates a lot yeah. of confusion. And I think, quote unquote, flat earthers often get stuck in the trap of materialism where they themselves are getting bamboozled by the scientisms, scientisms, isms. <laughs> <laughs> yes quite uh and, and that being said i would love you know to touch a little bit on the scientism stuff because in your book uh, falsification of science you guys just crush it on so many things and you know one of the things that i talk to my kids about a lot and i think bear he wants to get into this a little bit is the dinosaurs thing because this touches into Dar Darwinianism and the whole, you know, we're just monkeys. And, and of course it came out right at all at the same time. And yeah. it's really a stretch for some people probably listening right now. Wait, dinosaurs aren't real. Dinosaurs were made up. Um, that to me was actually came out of the flat earth. Um, you know, Eric Dubai was the first one who really got me thinking about that. 
um, back in maybe 2017 or so. Um, what is your final sort of, John, what's your final take on that with the dinosaur thing? Well, the dinosaurs were just a, they're just a prop for the theory of evolution, basically, because they are the, they are the, uh, the kind of glue that holds together the transition from uh, sea to land and from land to air animals. You know, the, the dinosaurs fit that into that jigsaw puzzle, if you like, as, as the missing links. And we're all, you know, evolutionists are always going about the missing link. Oh, the missing link, blah, 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 blah. We'll find the missing link. But what they don't tell us is, you know, they, they, they're, what they're referring to with the missing link is the fact that the missing link between ape and human. But when you think about it, how many millions of species there are? What about all the other millions of missing links between all those other different species that they've alleged to have evolved from? We never hear about those. And what's more, and what's more important, is that there are no missing links for those either. None whatsoever in the fossil record or anywhere else. There are no missing links of any kind. And that is just impossible. Okay, but yeah, the dinosaur thing. Um, the first dinosaurs were only described and discovered, allegedly, in quotes, um, at the same time as the the uh the theory of evolution and the clues in the name there it's a theory it's not a fact at the same time as the theory of evolution was being formulated by darwin and another guy called alfred wallace um so yeah it's all very convenient the dinosaur museums all around the world every single one of them you know the main ones being places like the natural history museum in london the smithsonian um all the major dinosaur museums all admit that the bones that they show or the fossil bones that they show and these reconstructions are not real they also they yeah we admit that they're all fakes but the real bones are all stored under lock and key in the basement and no one has, has access to them unless they've got special clearance and you know that just rings alarm bells in my head um and uh you know it, it's such a convenient excuse there's actually on the internet and you know again i refer to it in falsification of science and you can look this up quite easily there's a there's a, a chinese company called the zigong dino ocean art company we've got a, a very big website and they openly admit that they supply all the dinosaur bones to all the natural history museums around the world you know it, it's just um it's just mind-boggling when you look into it and again i'm going to massive detail about it in falsification of science um the the ridiculousness of dinosaurs it's just unbelievable you know they 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 create these creatures from tiny little fragments of alleged dinosaur fossil bones and you know so they have these uh, reconstructions of these exotic creatures that no one's ever seen or no one's ever likely to see and that you know these bones definitely cannot possibly belong to so the whole thing is a farce and when you think about the dinosaur industry itself because it is an industry you've got children's books toys games films movies computer games you know clothing with dinosaurs on them it's just in your face and what does that tell me that tells me as a as someone who's been in this game for 25 years, it tells me that they are trying to push something that isn't real because that's the way they work. They, they propagandize with all this stuff. We'll know when the woke dino comes that the trans dino comes. We know it's gone full circle. 
they target children you know because yeah. yeah then you grow up with that belief you know but it's so exactly. ingrained in you watch the land before time and you know whatever yeah. else they've got all the yeah. jurassic park <laughs> ones and um but you know that model for like creating the larger thing out of the little thing, the little piece of something reminds me of something that's been going on a lot the last few years with so-called yeah. neurologists, you know, creating genomes with computer models because they found the fragment, right? And yeah, that's enough right. proof. I mean, come yeah, on, exactly. right? My favorite thing, John, you should tell them more about those, um, the, the two men that were the first like dinosaur bone hunters discovered oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah, like yeah. they find out that what 90 some percent of those were were fakes but then they still decide yeah. to accept a small percentage of them from these guys who obviously were frauds it doesn't make that's any right sense. yeah yeah um they were called othniel they were americans they were called othniel evans and edward drinker cope and they were two uh friends who were involved in the dinosaur industry right at the beginning, and I'm talking about the mid to late uh, 19th century. And they discovered lots and lots of species of dinosaurs, allegedly. And eventually they, they became rivals and they, and they became bitter rivals. And they kind of tried to outdo each other as to how who could discover the most dinosaur species. And they found hundreds upon hundreds of these different species and they wrote about them and they... They, you know, created uh, reconstructions of them. And then eventually it was realized by the paleo paleontologists, the serious paleontologists, that all these things were just absolute fakes. And, but then, uh, as Shannon said, they decided that only something like about 5% of them were real and the rest of the, the other 95% were made up. So how they chose these particular 5%, your guess is as good as mine, but that's exactly what happened. But doesn't that just speak volumes, you know, the fact that, you know, they, they, they wanted to retain some, to retain some credibility about the thing, but, you know, they, they rejected the other 95%. So, yeah. So, well, it, all, all roads also seem to lead or emanate from the Royal Society in Europe too. Can you speak a little bit about them? Yeah, the Royal Society, it's... For those who are not aware, the Royal Society is the it's kind of the mouthpiece of science. You know, the, it controls modern science for the Royal Society. It's been around since the 17th century. Um, Isaac Newton, who invented gravity, um, was a mem prominent member of the Royal Society and a lot of other probably famous scientists that you've heard of throughout the ages. But the Royal Society is the controlling body of what is acceptable in science and what isn't. Now, the important thing to understand about it that it is almost 100% populated by senior Freemasons. Now, um, it's like an it's like a revolving door between senior Freemasonry and the Royal and the Royal Society hierarchy, if you like. Anything that the Royal Society proclaims to be fact, scientific fact, is scientific fact. There's no argument. There's no discussion. That's that. Anything that the Royal Society rejects as science. No arguments again. It's not acceptable. You know that is consigned to the dustbin of history. You know, so it, yeah, it's a very, very insidious organization that is controlled absolutely, totally by Freemasonry. And as we know, Freemasonry has a huge say in you know the world affairs today. Uh, it control, I'll add to that, if I may. Um, of from more examples, uh, Edward Jenner, 
Um, yeah. You know, so we have all pretty much all the fathers of whatever branch of medicine you want to or science you want to talk about come out of the Royal Society. So, yeah. you know, he's considered the father of vaccinology or of immunology. And then you've got his uncle. A lot of people don't realize that John Hunter um, was the father of modern surgery, the body snatch, one infamous body snatcher, you know, um, Sir, um, an anatomist to, or, uh, you know, did all these dissections on all those bodies that he had to <laughs> get people to rob graves for. Um, the knife man, he was also called. He was actually, um, I, I discovered this just by chance reading. I read actually the like biographies of Edward Jenner, um, the, the volume, well, volume two anyway, and some of volume one, and that was written by John Barron, like his good friend, you know, so it's supposed to be, I mean, he's trying to be a very complimentary and show him a good light, but he reveals a lot just by exposing all of his Jenner's letters are in there um, to various people. And it, it happened to be mentioned that John Hunter, who he apprenticed with, so, so Jenner's background, actually, he bought medical, his medical degree, got some others as honorary, and they were just given to him. Um, but he apprenticed with John Hunter, um, and that was his uncle. So, and John Hunter was in the Royal Society and he got, obviously he got Jenner in, you know, and Jenner was a Freemason, they're both Freemasons. And the thing about that is, I mean, the official story is that he got into the Royal Society because of his work on, because he was such a great naturalist or whatever, you know, and he wrote a, a, a paper on the cuckoo bird, which I just find really funny that that's how he gets in as his work on the cuckoo bird. Um, so they're just all, you know, it's this club and they're all helping each other out and they all, and they all work together in order to, you know, create this, um, the narrative for us, for this reality, this, the version of reality they want us to believe in for their own agendas. You know, that's what it, that's what it is. Absolutely. So, yeah. 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 This, this is something that I'd, um, that I'd like to read, read out and, um, with, it's a quote that I use in one of my stand-up presentations, and it, and it's fascinating. And it's it's regard you know it's, it's it's regarding evolution, and basically it says that the thirty third degree Supreme Council of Freemasonry in Paris revealed in its minutes its prom promotion of evolution as a science, while they themselves actually scoffed at the idea. And the minutes read as follows, and and and, and this is a quote from it. It says, uh, it is with this object in view that we are constantly arousing a blind confidence in these theories. The intellectuals, without any logical verification, will put into effect all the information available from science, which our agents have cunningly pieced together for the purpose of educating their minds in the direction we want. Do not suppose for a minute that these are empty words. Think carefully of the successes we arranged for Darwinism. And also, one last thing. This is a quote from New Age magazine of March 1922. And it says, the kingdom of atheistic Freemasonry will be established by evolution and the development of man himself. This false scientific ideology of evolution is a deception set in the 33rd degree atheistic Freemasonic lodges. Freemasons openly admit that they will use the scientists and media, which are under their control, to present this deception as scientific fact, which even they find funny. Wow. 
yeah, they definitely have a laugh at our expense. Well, yeah. look at Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> look at the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Anybody that actually believes that's an actual biological animal that can truly hey, that's, function. That's my favorite dinosaur. Be careful here. <laughs> yeah. It's like they mock us, right? And they that uh, that's yeah. part of the tactic is to um, essentially have the average Joe look towards authority as truth, not to trust in our own intuition, our own internal knowledge, wisdom, and power so that um, the externalization overcomes the internalization so that they can maintain control. Um, and also harking back to like, there's no monopoly of ideas even within these upper escalon of society. I believe there was a schism within masonry back in the day. And there was, it was kind of overtaken by some would say um, the Malachians, if you will, going all the way back to Chaldea, and they worship Moloch, and they sort of took over from the more Lucifer. Some would say Luciferians of the of the light, or even the more like Rosicrucian style, um, you know, secret secret mystery schools. So I think there was definitely a schism that happened, and that's where Scientism came out of. So, um, cause the original Masons weren't really atheists at all. So it, it, it's something important to, I think, realize that there's nothing black and white in the world. It, it's all gray. Um, but definitely it's very obvious that there's an agenda been at play for hundreds of years using quote unquote, their version of science, uh, to control, manipulate ideas. And of course, real science can counter that the real science of, for instance, alchemy, and what the Rosicrucians understood. So that's just my two cents there. And, and it all goes back to what's uh, floating around above our heads all the time, you know, and instead of these uh, rocks up there, when you entertain the concept of uh, plasma projections producing resonance, it then precipitate by intelligent design all that we think of as the life forms, the four kingdoms of nature uh, on this plane, then you go back to evolution, which goes in reverse and says that somehow life comes out of matter and not from that intelligently designed energy that creates all form and function in the first place. And then, of course, everything proceeds in a linear uh, kind of uh, fashion. And anybody who just gets outside once in a while realizes that nature does not create lines in uh, linear type of affairs uh, so, yeah, it's just this, of course, the, the great inversion of reality. Yeah, and I don't think that um, they're necessarily, these people are necessarily atheists themselves, but it's, again, what, they, what do they want to promote to us and why? And I think um, just making science the new god, I mean, you could see that all around us, that people believe in science. They say that, I believe in science, you know, and it's a, it's a religion, it's the new world religion. Um, it's, it's like you, it's infallible. You have to just trust it, trust the science, you know, uh, just these, it's the way settled. They even it's settled. It. Don't it's you know, settled. Shane? there's a community, they all agree. And it's just, you know, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I just think about this quote I read recently from Ray Kurzweil, you know, who he is, um, the singularities near author, you know, futurist, uh, CEO, you know, director of engineering now, I mean, I'm sorry, Google director of engineering, um, futurist, you know, he, he's all about the transhumanist you know, thing, like how we can, we won't need organs. We won't need hearts. We'll just have nanobots that also even create our skeletons. Isn't it great? We can download our brains and into a machine and live forever. <laughs> and, um, and he actually said, 
somebody asked if he believed if God existed, he said, not yet. And he said that it's God will exist um, after this intelligence, artificial intelligence gets to take enough hold on us and in our world. And that's how God will then exist, right? That's that, that's what they're trying to get us to believe in and to that the superiority of artificial intelligence, that this could become our new God, which is like, I try to tell people, you know, because the whole thing with Musk as well, like, you know, Elon Musk always promoting, saying AI is dangerous. So we have to join it, you know, <laughs> since we can't beat it, let's just link our brains to it with my neural link. That's like a Fitbit for your skull. That's what he loves to call it. You know, no big deal, just a Fitbit in your skull. <laughs> but, you know, because AI is definitely going to outpace us and it's a monster, it's already out of control and it's just going to take over. We better get on board, you know, so that so that we can compete because otherwise we're lost, you know. But see, to me, artificial intelligence is never going to be superior to human intelligence because it cannot. I mean, you know, they call it intelligence. It's not the same as as biological anything you know this whole non-biological so-called life form is a contradiction in terms you can't have non-biological life you can't have artificial intelligence these are all contradictions you know we have compassion we have empathy we have you know wisdom things that that we can never artificially create and so it can never be superior to us it's only going to mimic all it can do is mimic human intelligence and emotion and it can compute you know, it can, and you know, what I learned about recently is that these algorithms, the AI algorithms and everything um, have to be taught by humans. Like there's actually these sort of like new kind of sweatshops in India where people just sit there and they have to feed AI like horrible images of the worst possible things you can imagine to teach it that it's bad. Like, would you ever have to teach a person that all these horrible things like snuff films and you know, child molestation, bestiality is bad. Like you have to show it to them to teach them. Like we know those things are bad. Like it's inherently repulsive to us, but you have to feed this to this machine intelligence to get it to say, to get it to understand. It's never really going to understand. So you're constantly traumatizing these people have to, they get really traumatized, psychologically damaged from having to do these jobs, you know, and same with the human moderators that are used as well to moderate content, you know, on YouTube and other platforms. It's just like, People don't see this dark side of what's happening with the technology, like, you know, who's designing our, our devices, who, I mean, who's putting them together, where that's happening, what they're mining, you know, there's this whole other world that's like, um, just, yeah, enslave people to feed this addiction and to feed the AI, this new God, you know, to, to help bring that into being, so, anyway, John's back. Um, yeah, sorry about that, guys, I, yeah. Uh... I had uh, no an urgent problem. call to make. <laughs> well, okay. back to the God <laughs> Kurzweil God thing. Like, I think yeah. I think we often fall into the trappings too that they are pure materialists. When I really do believe most of these are occultists, and they actually are like worshiping like a Moloch or something, and it's like this dark energetic egregore that they are trying to bring into life. And now they're trying to do that through an artificial means because I think they've they're sort of realizing how impossible it has been to do it through the actual real organics. So they're trying to do their black magic now through what Rudolf Steiner would call like the eighth sphere. And um, so we, I think it's important to remember that these people really are deep occultists actually understand how the spiritual world works, understand how the true powers are. And, you know, in the late, 
1800s, they were trying to get people captured by the, the mentalist side, the in the mental plane with like the psychic realm and capture people in that way. And once people really started to wake up in the early 20th century that, whoa, that's a trap in itself. There's entities that will attach to us and control us. So it's going back to our personal power. Now they've gone to pure materialism and trying to trap people in literally an AI, an AI trap. So, um, yeah, I think Kurzweil really is meaning that Moloch will come out <laughs> or, or Aramon or something. Or, or Divok. Uh, yeah. You know that Divok, right? The backwords of Divok is what we, the word we're not supposed oh, to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that and that itself is spell casting. I mean, they're, yeah, they're constantly trying to cast spells anyway. I don't know. Again, it's like like what Bear was saying earlier, like we're more powerful than that, you know, but they're always trying like and maybe they're having some levels of success, but in our language, the coding of our language, the numbers, they're constantly bringing these numbers up again and the, you know, and using specific language on purpose. Um, it, they don't call it spelling for nothing. They don't call it writing for nothing. And I wonder, I've been thinking about this recently, like, is the English language the most, is that the, like, the reason they're trying to make that sort of the international language is used in businesses and everything, is that the one they've most successfully coded? You know, um, is that the yes. most powerful in their mind? That's what I'm thinking about. I believe so. I absolutely yeah. believe that, Shannon. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, if we had this discussion. I did uh, a conference uh, back in the summer, and we had that discussion. And uh, yeah, it's amazing how many backwards sentences there are in English and backwards words that actually have sinister meanings. Can't think or of any the anagrams, right? Yeah, yeah, anagrams and and right. all that. You know, all the um, yeah yeah it also gets into the uh, color of law language and lawfare that's been uh waged against us we you know you go into a court of law and black means white and white means black and uh you know in in that realm we just refer to english in its common use as dog latin and that's what we're taught mm. um this might be a good opportunity to get back into a discussion about wi-fi and also how it correlates to the roll up your sleever. Mm. Uh, and I'd like uh, both of your takes on this. Um, my belief is that the roll up your sleever being a uh, genetic manipulation, and I liken DNA as a uh, dual impedance antenna and configured uh, the way humanity is, it allows us to um, perceive those higher bandwidths of perception that then separate us from the animal kingdoms. And then, of course, uh, the roll up your sleever that changes uh, that perceptive bandwidth and at the same time keys us into more of these more lower Wi Fi overlays. You know, now we're, you know, we're talking about how we're trying to teach machines how to be human while well, at the same time they're trying to uh you know teach us humans how to be machines and i think that's the way they're doing it so uh either one of you if you want to have any comments, yeah can that. i go first i was just going to yeah. sorry Shannon, i was just going to say that um yeah interestingly enough um the supreme court ruled in 2013 that a person whose dna has been modified is actually patented and has in fact become the property of the patent holder of the modification technology yeah. furthermore they're no longer legally human but are considered transhuman meaning that existing human rights do not apply to them and you know 
what's more, it's, you know, we are, the people who've had the, um, shall we say, the genetic modifications, uh, and there are a lot of those at the moment, are absolutely have no human rights at all now. None. Okay, it's not well, that's become, why we'll have we'll have to expand them to include robots. That's the whole point. Cause people will exactly. say, once they realize that they'll say, well, wait a minute, we have to redefine biology and biological life form. That means like all the AI robots get to have equal rights as us. And, you know, we can all be. Exactly. Exact, yeah. 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 So yeah, I just wanted to make that point. Sorry. I don't know. I didn't know it was a, a definite thing. I thought it was like something that set a precedent for that. And it was still kind of, um, well, I'm only going. Yeah. yeah, you might be right. I'm only going by what I've read recently, but it, it definitely said that the Supreme okay. Court ruled that in 2013, which is obviously well before, you know, the. Uh, yeah, the I think it applied to some something very specific that may be. Yeah, it's like a little bit still something that sets a precedent that can definitely be manipulated that way and be yeah. um, determined that way. And I think there is a, a point there that they want to do that, that, you know, um, change ownership. And that's why you're seeing like IP addresses attached to this as well. You know, yeah, some yeah. people yeah. admitting that. So and I think it's important the, the to the pronoun. Point as well. Sorry. Sorry, Bear. No, oh, please, you go. Yeah. Now, I was just going to say that. Um, the Shannon's and I's next book is about the transhumanism agenda, which I think is the ultimate place that we're going if these monsters get their own way. I don't think they will get their own way, but that's another story. But assuming that they do, full transhumanism is exactly where we're headed. And the reason for this is because we know already that there are patents out there on the internet for the remote control of human bodies. For the remote control of human minds, they can insert memories, they can delete memories. Uh, once they achieve that, the human race, as we know it, is finished. So it's vitally important that this message gets out to everyone, and that uh, you know we stand up as a, a as a, a as one and say no. So you know this this is we are entering the most critical point in human history uh, ever. And, and transhumanism is the key to their success. Once they achieve that, as I say, we've lost. We've lost the game. And, you know, we are totally under their power then. But it's, never, it's not going to come to that. I know I believe that we will yeah. stop them. John, some would say that was yeah. the cause of the great uh, floods of the Atlantis or the, that they had reached the same point. And yeah. with the automatons yeah. that Edgar Casey talks about. And so... I think we have these great resets because we keep doing this, repeating this nonsense and nature bit slaps us and says, reset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We keep, we keep getting to that point of awakening where a mass awakening where they're like, Whoa, we got what? Like, Oh no. Like let's erase, erase the memory, erase the history. Let's start over, you know, yeah. because they went, they got too far with that. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll say something more well, about the, the um... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Bear. No, you go. Oh, I was just going to get into Please. your first question about yeah the Wi-Fi and the and the roll up your sleevers. Um, so I just want to say this. So okay, because of my own experience that you know when I started getting affected really with really severe physical symptoms, and then realized what was going on, and I um, then you know got away from it. I, the difference it wasn't just that some of those acute symptoms were alleviated, but there was something else that changed. I, I had this, these feelings come back to me that I'd forgotten about from when I was a child, like when the environment was different and a kind of free, happy feeling of like peace and 
just like a lot of energy and a lot of playfulness. And what's happening is that people are all getting affected by this. And, and what, okay. So let me go back to, um, I called them the brain scientists, the brain doctors from like the 1950s and the Macy's club. I don't know if you have Macy's conference, the cybernetics, uh, cyberneticians who were trying to, you know, they were researching mind control, working for the CIA, working for the military. And they were openly discussing what they found out was that the way to control the mind, you can't really control it directly. You need to control the environment man's in because we get the feedback from the environment. And that's what, how our brains interpret, you know, interpret stimulus affects the central nervous system. You know, this is how we interpret our reality. So, you know, they did sensory deprivation, isolation experiments, um, all to figure out how to best control, completely control man. And so what they realized the key was the environment. And so when you change the frequency, so it's really like we have this natural frequency that's supportive, that makes us feel good. That's why people feel good. And they go in nature, at least most places in nature. I mean, these days you could have a cell tower there and that would really interfere with that feeling. And, um, but people are sort of forgetting it because it's becoming so ubiquitous and it's changing so much of their environment that people have this sort of like, there's this kind of free floating anxiety and depression people have, and they can't really place why. And it's definitely emanating from these frequencies. I mean, they, they used radio frequencies over and over again, these experiments, I mean, all the way back to even the forties, fifties, and they understood that those frequencies affected our brains, affected our bodies or biological, you know, selves. So, so they saw that opportunity and, they, and at the same, it was always coinciding with these experiments. So even before that, with the first electric experience with electricity, you know, scientists were using electricity to um, initiate sort of like uh, reflex responses in, you know, frogs, like shocking them and making them, you know, I think it was Volt, you know, at least the uh, Dr. Volt and whatnot was doing that. And so they already saw like this potential, like, okay, that makes the muscle twitch, this electrical shock. And so as we, as they learn more about electricity, about frequencies and about the effects on physiology, um, they had made excuses for like using it for communication to bring it into our environment and into our world, right? So let's all coincide it with this research. And so where we are now is that, for example, um, you know, I, I feel pretty good most of the time. I feel I'm out, you know, I mean, Bear knows what it feels like where he lives. And it's like, and I don't, I don't go into the big cities very often. Um, maybe Medford's the biggest one. And then I feel it in Medford though, you know, like I don't feel as much in Crescent City. I've, I've definitely recovered a lot in terms of like my hypersensitivity to it because I've gotten away from it enough so I can handle some exposures. But I'll give you an example that my partner, Sam, he goes back and visits where we came from, uh, Washington, DC, which is a real, you know, EMF radiation soup there. It's a pretty bad and now that he's been away from it so much, he always feels it and he hates it. And what's interesting, I want to get into, is that it's not just that he feels kind of wired and like can't sleep and you know agitated. It's that he feels like he loses his um, third eye, sixth sense perception. Like that is really something that we've developed more of as we've been living out in nature. And we have, and it's in a, in a way of like, we kind of anticipate things happening or running into people or whatever. And we just expect, and that's something that's like a normal part of our lives now. Like, you know, dreams have, you know, dreaming something before it happens, seeing it before it happens, anticipating something, even like some tel telepathy. Sometimes we actually practice it. Like, you know, he goes to the store, we don't use cell phones. So I'm like, get me this, like, get me some chocolate. Don't forget, you know, and he'll be back like, oh, you want it chocolate you know, or something like, just like we, we practice that and it works, but he said he can't do it when he's in, he can't do it when he's in the city, when he's surrounded by those frequencies, he loses that 
he said it feels terrible to him. Like he feels like something's missing and he doesn't have that sense anymore. And it's almost like you lose your sense of being able to um, be aware of your surroundings and, and anticipate danger as well. You know, so it's a kind of zombification and like that kind of numbing sensation that people are being subjected to. And it, on the extreme end of that, I had another friend who is a sensitive person like me who went and traveled back to Ireland. He was hoping to move back there and after things died down, he could travel again. And then he's, and he didn't know how much it had changed in the last few years. And also, um, you know, some of the 5G had been activated and he knew it immediately. He was in Dublin and he said he was in a hotel room and it, he felt like he wanted to kill himself. It was this it was so intense. Like he just like, he knew if he didn't leave there, he would kill himself. He had to leave. He just had to leave immediately. And so he did, he got like, as soon as he could, he just, he just got the hell out of there. Cause he was like, this thing is, this energy is trying to make me kill myself. Um, and so it's really can be that powerful. Um, and you can be manipulated by it, but the, on the other hand, that's why we have to kind of keep embrace, kept getting back to nature fighting for those natural spaces that you know to maintain them because this is the plan is okay so back to um you know then having that in conjunction with the the, the genetic modification um well there's first of all there's substances that are really highly um conductive like graphene oxide um which is a superconductor that it's been discovered in you know all of these vials and um and that is going to like enhance that kind of antenna effect Right. So you, like you said, I mean, we have, well, and also like you said, so we, if you have synthetic DNA, right. So then it's like, they're trying to manipulate the code and they're calling, they're saying that, you know, the platform where they're saying that we're the human operating system and it's soft, this is a software and we're updating you. And they're not even trying to hide this, you know? So it's like, um, yes, if they, if you then have synthetic DNA, I don't know what, what is possible then, you know, how much can they do with this? I'm not really sure. I mean, we're all just trying to figure this out, but, um, but just the fact that you're including, for example, for myself, a lot of my like hypersensitivity reduced after I did a lot of heavy metal detoxes. And so what I found in common with a lot of other very sensitive people was that they also had had a lot of contamination with heavy metals. I did a lot of hair analysis testing and did saunas and coffee enemas and, you know, especially the um, red light saunas, you know, the infrared and really made a difference for me. So, so there's definitely a connection there with with these um, roll up the sleeves, because it's been going on a long time, you know, before the new ones there, and they all had heavy metals. Why? You know, that's the only preservative you can find or the only adjuvant you can find. I mean, why heavy metals, right? And then you've got the heavy metals, you've got um, the also other other kinds of DNA from animals and things, you know, a recombinant, recombinant DNA, you know, before this mRNA. So, um, so this has been in the works. I think like this is all kind of coinciding together on purpose in order to have more control over us and to, and so that's why we need to resist it, I guess, but that's kind of my take on it and where they're going with it. And um, already you can get, a, like I'm saying already, you can be affected by these fields without that. But, but I think at the same time, we're all a bit contaminated because we've all had some exposures before. I mean, I certainly wasn't one of the children in the world that was, you know, homeschooled and was able to avoid any of that. Um, so I definitely, and I had some extra ones as an adult when I went to travel that when, before I was really aware of like how dangerous that was, you know, I had a whole, I had multiple ones at one time. And that definitely led to like a lot of weird health problems after that. I didn't connect with it. I didn't know why I was having these problems. I went to doctors, you know, everybody's baffled. 
So finally, like over many years of research and understanding this, you know, figure make these connections, but a lot of people don't make the connection. And it's interesting. And this is where all this kind of brainwashing comes in and all the education and the Royal Society and gender and everything, because once you have the V label on something, you know, um, and you believe in that as an absolutely infallible thing and you have faith in it and, and you never, you don't even think of it as a drug or a medicine. And it has like these old, totally different rules for it that don't apply to regular drugs and medicines in terms of dosing or even like monitoring effects, or even considering that that possibly might be causing something, you know, m many things, even if there's evidence to say it will. And so it's really hard for people to get past the belief that's in, you know, stuck in them and they won't, they just won't see it because they, they won't make that connection if they have that belief. So infirm, you know, firmly implanted in them. <laughs> yeah. <I don't> <laughs> so um, just a quick comment, you know, over the years, I developed a lot of techniques in my practice um, to help people recover their neurology, you know, people that were roll up your sleever damaged, or people um, that we used to call universal sensitizers, or just anything would set them off. And we're going to make a lot of those uh, uh, types of information available on our new member site. Just put a quick plug in for that. Um, John, I'd like to ask you, since you've uh, done immense research historically, uh, have uh, past times uh, when there were these massive resets uh, for humanity, does it seem to indicate that they were preceded by the same type of purposeful uh, manipulation and contamination? Um, I guess so. I mean, I've never really kind of connected and I've never, I've never really made that connection, to be honest. Uh, I, um, you know, I've just studied um, traditional history, if you like, and then mm -hmm. debunked it rather than actually looking at that particular aspect of it. Um, the resets is, has only come into my consciousness in the last couple of years or so. And I've been so busy working, you know, doing, you know, Shannon and I's book. And, you know, I've not really had a chance to do any specific research on that aspect of it at all. Um, so, I mean, it's, it, it's hard I, to research I, when you don't have the, when you have to question all of the information you get about history. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I, I have a follow up to Shannon because on the Greg with Greg and uh, higher side chats, you made an amazing observation about the human capacity to observe through the senses and how it's the narrowing of that bandwidth over time and that a connection to both the EMF exposure and technology itself. Like you talked about just looking at blue light phones, how that's affecting our eyeballs and the fact that we don't look far out anymore. Everyone's nearsighted and has to read reading glasses. This this kind of reminds me of the books, the Russian mystic Anastasia. If you're familiar with mm -hmm. those books. The yeah, I read the first series. one. Mm -hmm. So she talks about the technocracy taking over. And this is back in the 90s. And her main answer is that man or woman, our powers, our core powers are far beyond the scope of what we were super people like we can fly, we can levitate, we can move things with our minds. Do you feel that as you've been living in the woods, because you live, people think I live remote in a little town, you live super remote, like Baron Deb, they're very far away from everything. And you talk about, you know, you feel like you're getting more psychic and stuff. Um, is that, um, do you feel, is that because of the detoxing or is that because you are actually now reconnecting to like your real self? I think it's um, more about the reconnection. Yeah. With just spending more time 
in this environment. Um, because I did most of my detoxing before we moved out here. Although even in Arizona, I mean, we were in a pretty wild place there too. And we definitely developed this kind of aware, other awareness. And, and I'll give a good example of that. When we first moved to Arizona and that's a harsh, we're in a harsh desert environment. It's pretty hard to live there. It's like, it's everything wants to kill you <laughs> is what it feels like. And at first I remember I would try to wear shorts around and my legs just got cut up by everything and I couldn't wear shorts. And then I remember it later as the years went by, walk around in my underwear in the really hot you know, weather, wear like nothing, not, no scratches it, because I became so in tune with the environment and, and I could walk barefoot. I could, and you just do, you just become like, you're so aware without even knowing you're aware. And it's well, kind of cool. You you know you became immune to scorpion bites as well didn't you yeah actually so i did i i didn't hurt me anymore i i got yeah. bee stings scorpions like kind of was like whatever i remember like i kind of one got me in my sleep on my finger i was like oh and i actually no i grabbed i felt it crawling i grabbed it stung me but then i was like i turned my flashlight looked at it i was like oh yeah and i threw it out and then i'm just like it hurt for a minute went back to sleep you know um so it was kind of <laughs> we got pretty tough and you know people come visit and they couldn't believe how I mean, we track. You know, we we got to know how to track. You know, we'd see we'd see what we had been through. We we noticed the littlest, and that happened out here too. We noticed like a little change, like that that branches down the tree. You know, something the rocks moved, or without even knowing, like you you're doing that. Um, but again, it's like even beyond that is something. There is a feeling of like an opening of a psychic awareness, and I think that you know, and like you said, Mike, when I was mentioning about our senses changing the way we think changes too. And our, I mean, it's narrow, they're trying to narrow our perceptions. And this is where if we just spend time on screens, that's what's going to happen. And you're going to lose this ability. You actually, if you're not using it, you lose it, right? So you're going to lose that vision, the, the far vision. You're going to even stop seeing all the same, all the colors, you know, like the richness of it, it diminishes. Um, you're hearing, you know, those sensitivities, um, now I just lost my train of thought about what I was saying about this. Oh yeah. So the pineal gland, right. is always, it's been under attack for a long time. And that's really important to understand why, because there's, I mean, they call it third eye for a reason. I mean, that's where the pineal gland is that the location is back here behind that area. And the calcification of that has a huge impact on us. And not just in terms of psychic awareness, but um, in terms of sleep, like getting enough melatonin, your hormonal cycles, um, all these glands linked together. But what I actually start practicing before I was kind of a little late with my practice starting now that we went into winter, but um, sun gazing, you know, I think it's a really interesting way to unlock the pineal gland. So you can just do it right before like a half hour before sunset or sunrise. Um, sorry, after or after sunrise up to that point. So you, you can stare at the sun you want to build up really gradually if you even just a few seconds then a few minutes but people do this they when they build up long enough they can stare at it for like half an hour or even when it's higher in the sky and that is actually supposed to help decalcify the pineal gland and kind of open up that awareness um and i think it does yeah hold that potential and i really want to experiment with, with that coming up when we have more sun again and when it comes over our ridge line <laughs> more than it does now um but I think there's there it, it just makes me feel that our potentials are have been really robbed from us. You know, I mean, I I have a sense that like there's so much more than we've been allowed to experience that 
that has a lot to do with like all these attacks and in, in, in our on our environment and on our food and on our water supply and everything like in Anastasia, you know, books, it's like kind of it, it humans in the natural form, I think will do have these other abilities. And it's a lot about how you're educated too. like, you know, children, babies come into the world and they, they have, you know, if you let them, they have a lot of perception that, you know, we don't have anymore. Um, but if you start telling them, no, you don't have an invisible friend, that's impossible. You don't, you can't see that it's not there. And you start telling them what their reality is and how to interpret it, then they don't see it anymore. And this is exactly what is being done to everybody and adults, you know, as well on this other level of like, okay, we're going to tell you what your reality is and what you're experiencing. And you see this in the news all the time. And you see it with, I was just on another podcast um, last week about, we talked about glitches in the matrix and um, that whole Mandela effect and everything. And, you know, and they'll actually, there's things out there like Wikipedia and other websites saying, this is why people, why you think it was that way, but you're wrong. <laughs> And, you know, like, so it's again, like telling you to not trust your own senses or your own memories. And it's just psyop. And I, one of the example is, I don't, okay, I've got to ask you guys this, Fruit Loops, the cereal. Okay. How is it spelled? Bear, Mike? Are we going into Mandela well, effects just, now? <laughs> real quick. I got to know yeah. how you spell Fruit Loops. How did you F, spell it? Uh, it's F-R-O-O-T-L-O-O-P-S. Fair? Is that what you agree with that? Well, I don't know much about Fruit Lips, but I would just <laughs> say fruit and it's normal uh, spelling F-R-U-I-T, yes. but I imagine it's changed somehow or something. Yeah, it was fruit. See, I thought it was the normal spelling was fruit, like like a mm -hmm. fruit and then loops. And I, I feel really confident about that because unfortunately I ate a lot of crappy cereals growing up and I used to stare at the box. I mean, we didn't have other devices and stuff. We'd read the cereal boxes before school and that's what we did. At breakfast and you know when i heard the actual thing they're saying no it's not a lot of people think it was fruit like the regular spelling but it's with the o's so um and i'm like no it wasn't and i look at the pictures they try to show you like the new one i'm like no i'm like that's wrong <laughs> but anyway mike remembers it as the, the two o's or is that just because he got psyoped recently um no i actually <laughs> do remember it with the two o's and but i you're think younger than me so maybe they changed it I think the Mandela effect is fascinating. We did a whole show yeah. on it with Ryan Stavely and uh, okay. guys go check that out. Um, back to the sun gazing bear and I are huge, huge advocates of that bear is, oh, cool. um, it has had done that practice forever. And I'll, I was just saying in the chat, I think surfing is the best activity you can uh, do yes. because, and, and <laughs> Shannon is a fellow Del Norte surfer. Cause not only are you out sun gazing, you're grounding, you're cold mm -hmm. plunging, you're engaging yeah. with nature, with waves. You're uh, for us, I'm engaging with sea life, sea lions pop up next to you. You're talking to animals. Uh, you're testing you the boundaries of your physical acumen and what you can do with your body, with your neurology um, and then balance and everything. It is to me the greatest. <laughs> I'm so happy. I got over my pussydom. And excuse my French and started surfing in Del Norte because I am addicted and it was great. I saw, I was out okay. with my phone board early on and I, Shannon was at the beach with me and she saw me out there and going out there to get pummeled that day. Yeah. But uh, Shannon, <laughs> we got to get out and surf together. I know. I know. And I finally, I had to take a few months off this winter because I had a back, really serious back injury, but I, I got back on it a couple of weeks ago and I'm super stoked to get out there again. And I actually have this new program I'm doing that. So I don't re-injure my back. 
So I'm really excited about that. So I'm going to like go forward without like ring, you know, and not going to get myself into that again. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel exactly how you do about it, Mike. And, um, you know, as soon as we moved out here, you know, two and a half years ago, whatever I said, I'm, I'm going to learn to surf. And I'm like, that's it. Like first couple of weeks. And John knows about this. Cause I think he helped me buy my first surfboard. <laughs> um, when I didn't oh, have yeah. money, oh. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I got the surfboard. Oh my god! Well, um, wasn't it, wasn't it a birthday present or something? It might have been a present, yeah, like yeah, a late birthday present or something. Yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, early Christmas, late birthday, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> it, yeah, thank you. And I, I so, just, yeah. I, I so John, it. how's the surf in the British Isles there? Do you, <laughs> do you do any of that well, over there? Because I know some people that go yeah. to Ireland and surf. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean the where i actually live it's a place called scarborough on the north northeast coast as in the simon and garfunkel song uh, you're going to scarborough fair ah. that's that's where i live scarborough and uh yeah there are there is surfing scarborough yeah there's the surf shops and everything but it's not the same as in california obviously but it's still quite um you know quite active the you're not community. doing it yet i don't know <laughs> you're joking are you <laughs> no i couldn't do it no, you could no. though. See, you just you know, <laughs> never too late. Never too late to get into never it. So too late. we're running mm -hmm. up on some time. I'd love to just question. I have a question for you guys because it's been on the uh, top of the sort of uh, channel discussion of late. Um, the a lot what's going on in the states right now. We've got these train derailments supposedly happening everywhere. These explosions um, right now in East Palestine. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. it, I've always known it or as Palestine, oh. but now I guess Palestine is what they call it. Um, you know, with these supposed explosions, my kid comes home from school, teacher telling him it's nuclear waste. I've heard from like Dr. Um, uh, Northrup. She said that she has boots on the ground, that the manifest was changed. It was just oil spill. There was no actually uh, uh, nuclear waste or a toxic spill, even the, the vinyl chloride or whatever that they supposedly blew up. We're hearing, is it a psyop? Is it, is it, are we under attack? Just curious. What is your take on this? Have you guys looked into this at all? I, I've looked into it a bit. I watched a video about it recently. Somebody sent me. Um, so I have two thoughts about it. One is like, okay, it does seem like, well, it's a strategic move to, you know, get more farmland. I mean, Gates bought um, shares into a chemical water cleanup company a couple of months before the Ohio derailment, you know, and that's all a lot of farmland right there. You know, is it going to contaminate all the farmland? They're going to have to sell it at bought rock bottom prices and then he comes in and cleans mm -hmm. it up. Um, you know, more control over our food source, more control over water. Um, it does seem like there's these attacks going on at the same time. You know, because people are, I mean, there's the kind of panic side of it. Like, you know, you look at the maps, it will look at strategic because it's like so many states in each of these cases are covered. And, but I also think it's meant to kind of freak us out too. I mean, you have to be careful about some of the information because it's like, you know, kind of presented in a way that's like panic, 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 you know, and we don't want to do that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, and it could be that there were just some coincidences. I mean, I think it's a little weird the one in Ohio because it sounds like it it derailed and then they were told to like burn it all. <laughs> and that's what caused the problem, you know. And I don't know. And John can talk about nuclear. I mean, there's a whole nuclear weapons topic we probably don't have time for. But um, I do think while there's maybe not nuclear weapons per se, like they tell us there are obviously toxic elements and it did sound like there was supposedly, yeah, the first story was that there was, I don't remember the name of the chemicals because it was something familiar to me. Um, and I didn't know that they're necessarily a nuclear, I doubt it's a nuclear bomb because John can tell you all about that, that there's like no such thing as that. <laughs> um, 
but but at the same time you can poison a lot of water you know um if you if you dump the chemicals in the right spot and pretend it's an accident um so yeah i mean we could yeah. i mean it's like you know i'm sure there's probably some element of trying to like poison you know just it's, it's so many attacks on food in the last couple of years i mean amazing and a lot of it like just kind of not in you know like just quietly happening like all the birds that are being called all the chickens because of allegedly like crazy bird flu last year that nobody even heard about and it's all over the world they're calling like millions of millions of birds and 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 making people put their bird and i don't know that's happened in england actually john but they want they're trying to make people with backyard chickens put them in give them housing and not allow them to be outside oh, and yeah. then and then the housing had to be specific kind you know of course that means just shutting down people's backyard birds they're locking down them. and even masking the chickens now masking them oh god so no. John, I'd I'd love to hear if we have enough time, just uh, your take on the whole nuclear energy side huh. of things. You know, I've heard yeah, yeah. both things. We've got, you know, was the Fukushima for real, is the atomic yeah. bomb real? And then you have videos of these guys who used to work in plants and say it's all a hoax. So oh like Galen yeah, Windsor. Uh, please enlighten us. Galen Windsor, yeah. He's uh he's the guy, isn't he? But yeah, I mean, there are two elements to that, really. There's the nuclear weapons side of it, and there's the actual nuclear power side of it. You know, a lot of people don't believe that nuclear power exists as such, you know, and that is just some kind of a scam. But def definitely, I mean, funnily enough, on Shannon knows this, on uh, on Monday evening, I did a, a talk over on the West Coast, which is only 130 miles from me, believe it or not, and I live on the East Coast. So it's a bit of a different geography to what you guys experienced. But yeah, I did a, a, a stand-up talk on uh, the nuclear weapons hoax on Monday night. And uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting. There was a guy called um, uh, Major Alexander Seversky, who was a US Army major at the end of the World War, who was tasked by the US government um, in investigating all the different bombed out cities throughout the World War II theater of war, so in Europe and Asia. And Interestingly enough, his report came back and he said that there was absolutely no difference at all between Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which were the alleged nuclear attacked cities, and all the other devastated cities in Japan. He said all the patterns of destruction were the same. He became an expert in all the different kinds of bomb destruction, you know, incendiary, uh, blockbuster type ones, um, TNT type explosions. He became an expert in spotting all those. And he said, there was absolutely no difference between Hiroshima and Nagasaki and all the other burned out cities in Japan. He said it was firebombed. Hiroshima and Nagasaki were carpet bombed with incendiaries, and that's what caused the devastation. And interestingly enough, both those two cities had never been touched at all throughout the war. This was the first time they'd actually been attacked. All the other Japanese cities had been raised to the ground virtually. It was as almost as though, oh, I can't believe it's true, but it's almost as though they were saving them for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose, I believe, was to pretend that the new that nuclear weapons existed, which enabled them to promulgate the Cold War, which they use in much the same way as they use the space race today. It's a funnel. It's a funnel of money into certain people's back pockets, no doubt, but more prominently, more lightly into black ops 
Okay, so the nuclear weapons hoax was used to promulgate the Cold War, which again is a is a is a fear, a campaign of fear, which keep, keeps people terrified. You know, I remember when I was a kid in the fifties. Um, you know, we did drills at school, uh, nuclear drills, where a siren went and we had to hide under our desks, and we were terrified. You know, we thought that you know the world was literally on the brink of ending and And it's like the t-rex it's like the t-rex all over again like hiding under your desk is gonna save you from nuclear annihilation exactly i mean that that was just and and here we are again uh you know world leaders are saying hey we're never been closer to nuclear annihilation so let me ask either one of you your opinion on our alleged leaders Uh, let's start with uh herr trump where um you know he's touting the the proximity to nuclear war and everything again. I don't see how a gentleman like him or people in those positions can not know the truth, especially you go back into Trump's lineage and he's, you know, uncle was uh, the MIT guy and uh, allegedly got all the, the Tesla technology. And and so uh, I guess my question shortly is, um, is there any such thing as a white hat out there? or Are they all in on it? Do you want to go, Shannon, or do you want me to? I mean, it's hard enough they're all in on it and because, you know, which, like, is Trump the puppet they control or, you know, because it's kind of like, okay, you got these um, poster boys, for lack of a better word, you know, that, that are usually like the politicians, even like Elon Musk, you know, are, are they just handled by the, you know, they're, they're, and I love the, the idea of the hidden hand, right, with the Freemasons, the Jesuits, excuse me, yeah. to... Um, like are even like Napoleon doing that? Is he the one with the hidden hand, or is he just indicating that somebody's controlling him? Um, you know, so like I'm not ever really sure like how much those people actually know. Um, you know, it's it's like the need to know thing, right? There's the hierarchy, and you're gonna know what they t- like your position and your role. You're gonna know this much and not beyond that. And the rest of us up here, the ones you never even really hear about or see their pictures or anything, they're not in the news, are going to know the whole story. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how much of his own bullshit he believes or if he's, you know, I mean, he's obviously playing his role, but what does he know about his role? I, I don't know. I think that's just something we have to speculate about. Yeah, I think I mean, they're compartmentalized. I, definitely. Yeah, information, that way. yeah. information is passed down on, strictly on a need-to-know basis, right? Okay, so it depends how privy these guys are to the to the real agenda the full agenda obviously they're aware of some of it and i guess it's different degrees you know different degrees but the thing is what what we need to bear in mind is that it's all theater everything is all theater all these oppositions these that you see between trump and and biden and whoever else uh you know any prominent politicians that have these debates and you know slagging slagging each other off and, and all the rest of it it's all theatre. It's all done for effect, you know. And in the meantime, the real agenda takes place in the background while all this nonsense is going on. And this is the stuff that the news media report on. And that's just an, a, a way that they have of keeping the real truth from us. Yeah, they supposedly uh, hate each other, but then all end up on Ep- Epstein Island together. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly yeah. that. And all the all the past presidents love to get together for their photo shoots and everything that right. we're all against each other. You know, you love that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, democracy. And, 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 right, and, and, isn't it? The finest yeah. system that money can buy. 
Yeah. And taking it back full circle, the beginning of our conversation until one of these characters uh, says we absolutely have to get rid of the Federal Reserve. They're all full of BS. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. They keep supporting that. that that's the system of enslavement. And it's, and it's completely fraudulent. And, right. That tells you all you need to know. Yeah, yeah, Ross Perot and uh, uh, who else? There's been a few that kind of came out, and of course they were taken out, or you know, and um, of course, um, who was the other Ron gentleman? Paul? Yeah, Ron Paul. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, well, fascinating. Ken- Kennedy was assassinated for a reason, or was he? Yeah, or, or was he? Was he? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he living on the island, one of the islands on the other side of the ice wall. Okay, so let's uh, let's hear about JFK. Is he uh, did he really meet his demise, or was that a show as well? Well, and I know John, you had a lot to say about JFK. I'd love to hear your take on it. Yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't go into the the whys and wherefores of whether he he was actually killed or not. I I suspect he probably was um, because he he upset so many different factions. He upset them all, you know, CIA. FBI, the mafia, Israel, big oil, um, you know, it, it was hated by so many different factions. The Roman Catholic Church, even though it was a, a practicing Roman Catholic, he, he upset the church. That didn't go down well. And of course, as Shannon alluded to earlier in the show, the Roman Catholic Church is very, very prominent in all this stuff, specifically the Jesuit branch. Um, yeah, so... I suspect he was taken out, but you know there, there is a, a, a school of thought that says maybe it was just a hoax. But um, yeah, but, but my take on it, um, which I believe, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe this is a unique, unique take on it, was that it was the British Crown Empire that took him out, and not any one of these individual factions. And of course, it's the British Crown Empire, surprisingly to many people, that control all those factions, every single one of them. Now, you might think, how the hell can the British Crown Empire control the FBI or the CIA? Trust me, they do. It's all, everything is controlled from the city of London. America never gained independence from Britain at all. That is a total hoax. We are. That's my take. Yeah, good. Oh, you're a Brit. I can't trust you. You just want us to think you're superior. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, I'm a Brit, but I'm not one accent. of them, <laughs> well, America's just been the military arm of the empire. And That's right. Even, exactly. even looking at exactly. Russia and stuff, they you go back to all the you, you know you go back to all the royal bloodlines. They're all interwoven and connected. They're all related. Yeah, right. definitely. But yeah, I, I, that that is my take on JFK. It was it was mm-hmm. uh, it was coordinated by the, the British Crown Empire, and it was done as an as a warning. Okay, uh, because. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could easily have poisoned him. JFK had a lot of health issues. They could easily have just quietly done away with him and said, "Oh dear, you know, oh dear, you know, poor old, uh, poor old Jack is, uh, you know, is is demised, is is died in his sleep or whatever." And oh, it wasn't public, but this is what was wrong with him. You know, they had to make a big public show of it. It was a Freemasonic ritual called the killing of the king. Okay, Kennedy's assassination, as was Princess Diana's murder as well. Um, it is a Freemasonic ritual, and it was done to send a message out to everyone out there who might be thinking of you, usurp- you know, you uh, exceeding their power, which is what Kennedy did a, a lot of. I mean, don't forget he actually introduced debt-free currency as well and bypassed the Federal Reserve. 
And, yeah. you know, two, three weeks later, whatever it was, he was dead. And so, made the you know, famous speech about up against a um, maniacal or a monolithic uh, secret, you know, yeah. cabal. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> Just right. that speech. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, like the late Bill Hicks said, the comedian. Um, oh, yeah. They, yeah any new president. You mean Alex <laughs> Jones? Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, the, the um, you know, the, the new president after right the day of the inauguration goes down to the secret room in the White House and they show him the rest of the film the film footage of JFK's assassination they say any questions at the end and they're like nope okay so, <laughs> right. yeah yeah he said it's it's this uh okay, it's a, right. a view of the Kennedy assassination from an angle you've never seen yeah before. the angle you haven't seen yeah. right <laughs> yeah. the driver I guess maybe yeah, yeah. well indeed right. American imperialism and the corporatocracy exploded after that um assassination and you know i think it's fair to say we really haven't had a real president if you subscribe to kennedy being an actual patriot we haven't had one since i'm sorry trumpers correct. Um, yeah. correct yeah wow what a conversation you guys i knew this was going to be lit up this is the the chat has been in fuego people are loving this you guys they're really loving you um let's uh go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you uh for john falsificationofhistory.co.uk uh i'll make sure all the links are in the show notes below guys please yep. go support john and his work he's just out there uh really putting out amazing content and then of course Thank shannon you. at wifi-refugee.com any other places guys where people can find you well all my books are on amazon if you go to amazon dot wherever you are and just key my name in the search bar it will bring up my uh, my books um like i say there are eight of them on all various different topics and i also have a bit shoot channel called john hamer official which is three separate words uh it's not been updated for for a few months but uh, shannon and i are planning on doing some more stuff on there very soon with our friend pete um yeah those are the main three places falsification of history Amazon and BitChute. Yeah. I'll make sure to have all, I have a few already, but I'll have all of your books on our book list, um, on our Amazon book list, which you can go to alphabetic.com forward slash book list. I'll have them all at the top guys. So that's a really easy way just to go right ahead and go get their books and you support us a little bit as well. And then Shannon, you got some projects you're working on. Yeah. Um, like I said, I I'm writing almost finished a book. I've got like on the final chapter, right now and there's 17 chapters so pretty excited about finishing it up um yeah called shots fired um weapons of mass injection deployed in the war against humanity so that title should say it all <laughs> i love it um yeah and then the wi-fi refugee play of the modern day canary is on amazon and i have an author page there plus on barnes and noble and kind of other platforms so can kind of search that and find yeah. it a lot of places and could I just say Shannon and I's joint book, which we wrote together, Welcome to the Masquerade, which yeah. is all about the nonsense of the last three years, is also is on my Amazon page, not on Shannon's. So. No, but no, John, it's it's under my name too. Okay. All right. Yeah, Fair it's on. under my it's under our my author page as well. Yeah. We're ah, both hooked okay. up to, to, to it. Well, yeah. uh, thank, uh, sorry. thank both of you so much. Uh John, really good to get to know you. Uh really you. a wonderful talk today. I I there's so many things uh, that I want to ask both of you still, but maybe we'll do a part two. 
uh, but we appreciate your time. And Shannon, please come see us again. You know, the first know. time around, it was it was a great meeting. We're talking some business, and uh, yeah. I think our conversation will be uh, a little more diverse next time we meet. Oh, so yeah, please come, uh, come see us. Let me us, see if yeah. I can show and, everybody and, and what I, looks like out the window here. Let me see if you guys can see this. Um, hold on. Yeah. Can you see it? The snow <laughs> winter go. wonderland. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you live in epic wilderness. Um, yeah. <laughs> we didn't touch on it, but I did want to touch on Bigfoot. Maybe uh, round, oh, we'll have yeah, round yeah. two with you guys because we can go deeper into the masquerade. We, we didn't even totally go deep into that. And also more um, just wonderful topics. I mean, we could talk for hours and hours and hours. So Yeah, I mean, we've not even scratched the surface, have we really? I mean, but, yeah, there's so many different to topics, but uh, no, well, it's I think been great. What, and what, what John and I do, I think that is maybe a little bit unique is that we thought connect. And so we see the bigger picture and cause a lot of people focus on one thing and they get really narrow focused, narrowly focused on it. And in some ways that can be bad for us at times because like, Oh, they talk about flat earth or Bigfoot, then that, you know, discredit them. They're not real researchers or something. I mean, but in a, yeah. in a way it's the opposite. Like we're, we're willing to discuss and consider anything and we're not so we're not blinded by, you know, this one aspect or one, you know, system of anything. So, yes. And the, the one topic folks tend to get into a lot of controversy with each other and arguments and, and it just becomes another dichotomy. You know, we do the same thing on our platform. We just are open to any ideas, any kind of discussion. And a lot of times I don't agree with what people say, but I, yeah. I really enjoy the conversation and we don't take exception with anybody. Um, I think Mike and I both have a lot of alignment with you folks uh, in that regard and including uh, sharing some common belief systems. So uh, I think uh, a part two, if, if uh, both of you were up for it, would definitely be warranted. And thank you so much once again. Yeah, yeah we'd, love, we'd love to come back. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Back. It's been yep. great. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. And yeah, Bear and I have no real skin in the game except for, for more on the biology side. We're just exploring ideas. And when people get triggered by just exploring ideas, it's like they need to step back a little bit and see what their priorities in life are because now you're getting stuck into dogma and you're basically, you're letting your beliefs uh, control you and all that. So uh, for those that got triggered by Dan Winter last uh, week, and that'll be triggered by this one, just, you know, step back a little bit and look at this as fun radio. If, if, if anything else, you know, less, you, you know, it's just have fun guys. Like, why are we here? Right. So um, Go surfing. hit those waves. Go surf, yes, get, or rock climb, or as I end the show something. every week, get outside, get your feet in the dirt, go go for a hike, go plant something. Mother Nature's your best teacher. Go show her some love, and we'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Go follow these two and support their work. We love you all, and have a blessed day and a beautiful weekend. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.